Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on a race to rest in peace. So last week, I was excited. I, I was leaving church the week before, and really, the whole sermon for the next week, I got one right here. Thank y'all. <clears throat> Thank y'all. I appreciate it. Appreciate everybody's ministry. Uh, look at, they think I need as many as Nolan, see? That's how, I, that, I, that's, how, that's how real musicians do. They got to have a coffee, you know, for whatever scene change, you know, per song, what the look is. If anybody's cold in here, I apologize. We have to keep it cool for our trendy musician team. You know, they have to wear beanies and jackets, so we have to keep the room cool enough for everyone to look cool. And I'm just hot-natured, so it works out well for me. I wear T-shirts while they wear their beanies and jackets. I try to look cool. I wore a hoodie last week. I about stroked out before the end of service. I'm over it. I'm done. I am done. T-shirts for me. Y'all keep messing with me. It'll be shorts and T-shirts if it gets any worse up in here. All right? If y'all don't like it cold, if y'all want it five degrees hotter, I'm coming in shorts. Okay? I just got to have it. I got to have it cool. So I was so excited, and then as I progressed through the week, the Lord just kept adding and adding and adding and adding and adding. And, and so last Sunday was my introduction to the sermon I was going to preach last Sunday, and then we were going to transition into the sermon I was actually going to preach last Sunday. So we're in the middle of that transition, okay? So last week we talked about surrendering to unsafe, surrendering to unsafe. Safe. Remember the quote from the Narnia movie that I told you last week where I don't remember all the characters. I haven't even seen the movie. I just heard the quote. Um, I've seen a few clips, but where uh, I think the little girl's name is Susan was talking to the beaver and, and he was talking about Aslan, the lion, which is, represents Jesus in the movie. And um, she said, oh, I thought Aslan was a man. And he said, no, Aslan is a lion. She, thought, she said, I thought Aslan was safe. And he said, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But he's good, right? And so God is good. Jesus is amazing, but he is not safe. And our attempts in life to remain safe will distance us from a God who is not safe. And so if we want to be in close proximity to him, the less safe we are, the closer we are to him. We don't like that type of conversation. We looked at the life of Job and the reality that Job was trying to manage his life so that he did not lose. His children would have feast and he would... It says he was continually making sacrifices just in case his kids had done something wrong. How miserable would that life be? How miserable is that life, some of you? How miserable is that relationship with Christ that you are constantly trying to make appeasement for what you perceive that you have failed in? And you never are able to cut yourself or dance enough or jump enough to get the fire to fall. 
How miserable is that? But it's not about that. It's just about submitting to him and let things fall where they fall. Amen? So I can't recap as much as I would like to because of where I want to go today. But I encourage you, if you did miss last week, I don't do this often, but I encourage you to go back and listen. I think it will be beneficial to you. So as we walk through, remember we kind of landed that. Job said that what I have feared the most, what I have been the most in awe of has come upon me. And then he had a conversation with God, and God kind of put him in his place, right? And just told him who he was and told Job who Job wasn't. Because Job was still trying to rationalize with his friends why what happened might have happened and think about how maybe it was him or maybe it wasn't him or justify himself or whatever. It couldn't have happened because I'm this or that. Job still had to focus on thinking that whatever happens is a result of how good or not good we are instead of whether or not God is moving and working to get us to a place he's taking us where we have more than we had before and we enjoy it more than we enjoyed it before. And so once he was kind of put in place by God and reminded that he did not create the world and he was not there and he does not know how things work and he does not all those things, Job's mouth dropped and he, the all of God was renewed in him. And we said that what we're in awe of the most comes upon us. And when what Job was in awe of changed, that took place of what had come upon him. And then life and life abundantly came upon him. Man. So as we talk about surrendering to unsafe, what I told you is one of the most difficult things for me as a pastor is to bring any type of encouraging motivational, instructional word because I've been raised in church. I've been around religion so long that it's hard for me not to sit here while I'm trying to talk and look at your face and read every objection that you have in your mind. It's difficult for me. I'm an observant, discerning person. And so it's difficult for me, especially through the lens of religion. I understand that what I say that sounds so pure and loving to me in my heart, I understand how it sounds to you when the adversary of your soul desperately doesn't want you to receive it and let it take root in you. And so I understand that as I say surrender to unsafe and we talk about different things and we get ideas and we conceptualize what unsafe looks like that you guys probably made some lists. And you probably rejected some of what I said because your list was a list you weren't willing to consider, right? And some of you may have pushed it away and went further away. And some of you may have took the list and thought, I can master this list. I'll use doing good on this list to get closer. And you both missed the point. Are you with me? That makes sense. Matthew. You'll turn with me, chapter 20. I'm just going to probably paraphrase this for sake of time, but Matthew chapter 20 is 
It starts out with Jesus saying, this will help you understand the way heaven's kingdom operates. This will help you understand the way heaven's kingdom operates. How many people want to understand how heaven's kingdom operates? So Jesus tells a parable, and I like to use modern-day terms in this parable because I think Jesus used modern-day terms when he told the parable, right? And so I've happened to be at Home Depot at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I have seen day laborers at Home Depot waiting to get a possible job for the day. This is pretty much the story of Matthew chapter 20. So this man needed work done in his field. He goes to Home Depot, and he sees these people out saying, well, they don't say anything. Everybody knows they're day laborers. And when you come to get your supplies, you can grab somebody and take them to work, and they'll go work with you. And so he sees somebody, and he's, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and he says, hey, come work with us. And that person says, okay, um, what's the pay? He tells him the pay, right? And I don't even know if he tells him the pay. But anyways, he says, I'll, I'll pay you what is fit in the par parable. I, I, I forget that part. I better look. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's see. No one hired us. Join my career, my vineyard. Yep, that's what I thought. He didn't tell him at the beginning, okay? Huh? Verse 10 is the end. Oh, verse 2, he tells him. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. He just told him a day's wage. That's what I thought. So come work. I'll pay you, right? And so he runs out of nails. They, run, they need a new shovel. He goes back to Home Depot at 10 o'clock. There's still some people there. Man, nobody hired us. He's like, hey, you three come with me. I put y'all to work, right? They come, in the, they come in the game four hours later. And... He goes and gets him something at Sonic. I'm at this Home Depot right here, by the way, in my mind. So he goes at lunch, gets him some Sonic. And he, he was like, man, if I had one more guy, then I could get this little thing done I want to do today. So he stops back by there, and there's somebody else. He says, hey, man, it's, it's 2 o'clock now. He says, come, come work with me the rest of the day. I'll pay you a good wage, all right? Guy goes with him 2 o'clock. Man, it's like 4 o'clock, right? And they forget something they need, and he runs over to Home Depot, and there's still somebody out there that hadn't worked all day long. And he says, hey, go with me. We'll work. And that guy goes to work, works two hours. Those other guys have been there since 6 o'clock in the morning. Everybody gets done working for the day. He starts paying everybody. He pays everybody the exact same amount of money. And some of them got mad. Religion, 101. Religion 101. What? You paid him the same as you paid me? What in the world does what I paid him got to do with you? Is what I paid you acceptable wage? Yes. Oh, man, I was more unsafe than he was. I made a list, and I did dangerous stuff this week. Doesn't that give me some extra points? Don't I get to be the one that's closer? Didn't I perform well? Didn't I take that word and, and internalize it and put a yoke on myself and do really good with it? So don't I deserve more than everybody else? When we start trying to qualify and compare and justify and make sure we rob ourselves of all of the enjoyment and fulfillment and fruit 
of the labor, of the co-laboring with Christ. He invited you to come do a job. You felt like the job was worthy. You felt like he was worthy, and you went and you did it. And you're only dissatisfied when somebody else you think gets treated differently and better. When you get some blinders on. So it made me think, and so as I progressed through preparing for last week about being unsafe, I started talk, thinking about this and, and thinking, man, there's some point where somebody's going to try to get off the chain and say that's a good place to stop. I love this saying. I don't know who the first person who said it is. I've heard Damon Thompson say it. You'll never get where you've never been if you always stop where you always stop. Even if it's further than everybody else around you. You hear me? We get an ending point in our mind and pretty much every word we hear, every sermon we hear, every song we sing fits in the context of those parameters. Are you with me? Every one of them. Our pinnacle is the same pinnacle. And I hope they sing that song go so I can, again next Sunday so I can go back to that place. I hope I hear another great word that will take me back to where I was before will get me reinvigorated and re-motivated to at least get back to, to taking the ground that I used to walk in. We live in parameters. And so every time, and so we're, we're thinking about safe, we're thinking about unsafe, we're thinking about what is risk, what is it, what is it to surrender. Remember, we ended with, last week with this, we talk about being in all Hebrews 12, 28. Since we are receiving our rights to an unshakable kingdom, we should be extremely thankful and offer God the purest worship that delights his heart as we lay down our lives in, say, absolute. Absolute. Absolute surrender filled with awe. For our God is a holy, devouring fire. Absolute. How does that fit in your parameters? How does absolute fit in your parameters? Have you been to absolute yet? Have you been to absolute yet? Have you not just had a little bit more awe of God than something else or have you been absolutely filled to capacity where no other awe can even reside with God? Because that's the only way to approach him because he's a holy devouring fire. See, Moses, let's go back to Abraham. We want to start comparing. We got to use the big dogs, right? Abraham put Isaac on an altar and was going to kill him, but he didn't. Moses led God's people. That's impressive. I don't think that's a person. That must be the wind. Huh? 
That is not a children, Mom. That is, that is, that's constant. No child has that big of diaphragm. All right, here we go. I feel it's wind. All right, here we go. We got to get back on track. Tune it out. Abraham puts it, shh, turn it out. Abraham puts his son Isaac on the altar and is about to follow through. Let me just help him. <laughs> hey! Hey! Quit blowing that whistle! Hey! And there's no adults out here. Hey! Hey! Quit blowing the whistles! Hey! <laughs> hey! Hey, we can't blow. First, and then they ignore you. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, I'll stay out here 30 minutes now. I'll go confiscate every whistle. I love that. That was a very creative idea to give all the kids whistles, but we may <laughs> might rethink that one. <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, right? But he didn't. Moses leads God's people out of slavery, out of Egypt, right? See, a burning, he, he talks to a burning bush. It's pretty impressive. John the Baptist, Jesus says of John the Baptist that John the Baptist of all the prophets before is the greatest man that's ever lived. He said, but the least in this new kingdom realm is greater. See, here's the deal. The increase of his government knows no end. As soon as we reach the limits of our parameters and we're successful in comparing ourselves even to the greats, it didn't stop increasing. The opportunities for advancements didn't go away. See, the reward is not a destination, it's a person. And every time you get close to him, you see he's more holy than the last time you saw him. So if you think you're going to capture him, you're going to grasp him, you're going to contain him, you're going to impress him, then you're going to spend the rest of your life miserable. But the least in this greatest kingdom, the least, that's, the least in the kingdom is greater than the greatest one who's ever lived 
of all the prophets adding up. See, because Abraham put Isaac on an altar but didn't kill him. But this cool, Jesus just tweaked the system. He made it where we can actually put ourselves on the altar, literally follow through, and die. The ante got up, upped. He made it where we don't talk to a burning bush, but we become a burning bush, consumed by the fire of God. He made it where not only John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he could increase. But we have an invitation to die, not just excel in unsafeness and sacrifice, but die so that he can live through us. That's why now the least is the greatest because it's no longer us who lives, but Christ lives in us. They didn't have that opportunity. We do, but it takes death. So what is the degree of unsafeness that is sufficient to meet the expectations of the kingdom? Absolute, complete, and total death. Not the line of death, not close to death. Don't I look more close to death than you? Don't I look more holier than you? Don't I look like I do less bad stuff than you? Don't I look da 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 You know what? Not only is there no comparison, there is no place of any type of, uh, of success before it. The bad news is the only way that you can Walk with him is in death. The good news is the only way you can walk with him is in death. Isn't that relieving? I don't have to get enough tickets. I don't have to get enough points. I don't have to compare myself to everybody else and make sure I did enough because some people have some really good days. And my faith will be shaken on your good day because I'll start questioning whether I'm good enough. But if you're dead... And I'm dead. We're both dead. The entry level and the finish level are the same. It's death. It's complete and total death. Hebrews 12, 1, 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin with, that's easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. Anybody ever hear this and get fired up to run? Make a new prayer journal? Make a new daily calendar? Write in some more prayer times? Now, you remember a few weeks ago I said, Time is important, and things that I have rejected, I'm now holding sacred, but none of those things in themselves take the place of my death. They just help me stay dead. So it's a race. Paul says, I don't beat myself to get in shape. For no reason, I do it to win a prize. I mean, I, yo, woo, right? 
There's a crowd, man. There's people. This is serious. We're in a religious coliseum. There's Abraham is watching. Moses is watching. Yeah, they're watching because they couldn't do what we're doing. Do you hear me? They couldn't do what we're doing. I don't think y'all believe that sometimes. What's before you is more than anybody that you idolize in Scripture. Jesus said greater things than me. Sometimes we use it as a heavy burden and we can't add up because we're trying to be like somebody in the Bible and sometimes we use it as an excuse to not do anything because we can't be like anybody in the Bible. Let us lay aside every weight the sin which easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that's set before us. What is the race? Verse number two, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the only one that's past the finish line. So he's the only one that we can look at to see what's supposed to be happening. Look at him. He's the finisher who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What is our responsibility? Get a glimpse of the joy and race to die for it. Despising the same and is set, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The route to rule and reign is a, rest, a race to rest in peace. The route to rule and reign is a race to rest in peace. That's our call. That's our journey. How quick can you get there? Rest in peace. Philippians 2, 5, 11, have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, all, who has already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He was God, but still didn't sit around thinking about how can I maintain it? That's what religion wants to rob us of. How do we maintain it? Dude, I don't, I ain't about all that stuff about trying to figure out how to grasp something. My assignment is to die. My assignment is obedience, even unto death. So even he was equal with God, he did not seem it to be something to be grasped, but emptied himself, emptied himself, say emptied himself. By taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him. The path to rule and reign is a race to rest in peace. And then we're seated in heavenly places and rule and reign with him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, I just want to read to you Hebrews chapter 4. Can y'all handle a little Bible reading? I know y'all like my yelling, but can you just handle a little Bible reading? 
I need to take a break from yelling, okay? I'm going to read this calmly, collectively. I hope you can't sit there calmly when I read it, though. Hebrews chapter 4. Now God has offered offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting, confident faith. Rest in peace. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as they did, yet they didn't join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them deeply, for they doubted. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise, and we experience the realm of confident rest. For he said, I was grieved with them and made them a solemn oath. They will never enter the calming rest of my spirit. God's works have all been completed from the foundation of the world, for it says in Scripture, and on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, as stated before, they will never enter into my calming place of rest. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter into that realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith, rest, life, and experience the fulfillment of promise. For God still has ordained a day for us to enter into called today. Say today. For it was long afterwards that God repeated it in David's word. If only today you would listen to his voice and do not harden your hearts. Now, if this promise of rest was fulfilled when Joshua brought the people into the land, God wouldn't have spoken it later of another rest yet to come. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. As we enter into God's faith rest life, we cease from our own works, just as God celebrates his finished works and rest in them. So then, we must give our all and be eager to experience this faith rest life. Isn't it amazing how much there's all, don't miss it, more faith rest? (laughs) Seems confusing sometimes, doesn't it? Where was it? So that no one falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and the secret motives of our hearts. We have the living word of God, which is full of energy, and it pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It penetrates the very core of our being. So the only way we can enter into the faith, faith rest life, the journey to rest in peace, peace is allowing the word of God to kill us. Allow the word of God to penetrate and destroy our inner motives. Separate all the things. That's the only degree of safeness. That's the only degree of 
the word that is acceptable. Not, I'll let the word do some uninvasive surgeries. I'll let the word do some things that I deem essential. It's let the word do the work or not. That's the only way the word has any power. The word has no power on your nightstand. The word has no power, even if it's a big one, on your family table. The word has no power on your bumper sticker. The word has no power anywhere unless that word is doing work. The word only does work to those who receive it and allow it to do work. And the work that it wants to do is crucify you. There's no safe way to approach the word. It's going to penetrate. It's going to separate marrow from bone. It's going to do some stuff in there. Irreparable stuff. The word is not to make you feel good. The word is not to make you look good. The word is not to give you some life hacks. The word is to kill you. And it's the most beautiful death you'll ever experience. But do you want it? Do you want to die by the sword of his word? What happens is, is when we're kind of tentative, anybody ever use a dull knife? A watered-down knife? A knife that's tried to be presented in unsharp ways because we're afraid it might be too sharp? We get around and we've got a bunch of itching ears. We've got a bunch of people hearing the word all the time and they're just getting hacked on by a dull sword. And I say it all the time. When I say something like that, somebody's like, yeah, we need to preach harder. No, that's the dull sword that's beating people, the harder preaching. The sword that's giving people life is sharp and it's full of grace and it actually is telling the truth and it lets people be free. That's the sharp sword that we're so afraid of. The dull sword of religion has beat people half to death physically. The sharp sword of the spirit is supposed to kill us completely spiritually so that we can be resurrected and reign with him. Now, where was I? There's not one person who can hide their thoughts from God, nor nothing that we do remains a secret. Nothing created is concealed, but everything is exposed and defenseless before his eyes. Defenseless. Come on, the language is not the language of a sword that has just come by to help you feel better about yourself. You've got to be defenseless against the sword. You've got to be unconscious against the sword. Die. Totally surrender. Let him put you in anesthesia so you do not fight back. 
and say, don't wake me up again until I am the way you want me to be. Verse 14, so then we must cling in faith to all that we know to be true, for we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way as we are and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned and receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. This is the most misquoted, misdelivered verse in the Bible. Jesus came down and shared in our sorrows and our pity and all of our fears and torments and bad days so that we can come and tell him about them when we have them and he'll understand. And then we'll leave talking to him and we'll feel better about it because we'll be justified because he was that way too. He did it. He did it too. He was there. Everything I feel, he felt. No. No. No, you've given your feelings over to demonic influences. Every temptation to feel the way that you feel, he felt, but he did not feel the way that you feel. And he can help you not feel the way that you feel if you'll do what he did to not feel the way that you feel, and that's die. He understands humanity. He did gain understanding of humanity. And conquered sin. And he was tempted in every way. And he does sympathize with us in our frailty. But see, we think sympathizes us with, we think that means he feels sorry for us in our frailty. And he'll even give us some cookies, some handouts. If we cry enough, if we fast enough, if we look sad enough, God will do little miracles. And his little miracles fit in our little parameters of everything. So on a really good spiritual day when they sing good songs, God will do little things. Because he sympathizes with us in our weakness. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He understands it. He knows it. He's aware of it. He knows every temptation. He knows every fear. And then he says, come here. He says, come boldly. That means we get to go in there boldly in our misery. No, the reason he says you're going to have to come boldly is because I'm holding a sword. And if you get close enough, I'm going to kill you. And you're going to love me. Because that thing's finally going I sympathize with you in your weakness. That's why I showed you how we deal with it. We crucify it. 
Come boldly. Come on. Come boldly. See how bad we mess it up? We, we've made a whole thing on you. Come boldly, and we leave boldly the same. And we've just made God. He's just, he, he just is an understanding God now because he's, he knows. So now you can just come boldly and call him your homeboy and say, hey, buddy, thanks for the pep talk. No, you got to come boldly because he's swinging a sword. And he's going to take you out. And when he takes you out, he's taking out everything that's trying to kill you. You know what I'm saying, what's really trying to kill you. Mercy's kiss. Receive mercy's kiss. You know what kiss it is? It's the kiss of death. I wish I could just bottle up y'all's faces right now. <laughs> Come boldly and let me kiss you with the kiss of death. If you want to be my lover. He's not interested in salvaging our flesh and salvaging our emotions and salvaging stuff. He's not interested in salvaging anything. He's interested in resurrecting our spirit. He wants to come in and take over, not sit beside us and make us look good. He doesn't do all the work so you can take all the credit. He's not our homeboy. He's our laid down lover and he showed us how to do it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. He likes for me to be weak. He, he's, his power is displayed through you when you're weak enough to realize you can't survive. So you go to the quiet place of his presence to die in peace. And then you let him live in you. And be strong. We've been trying to fix our weakness for so long. We've been trying to get God to manage our weakness for so long. So that we can look good and we can help people and we can make him look good. He doesn't need us to help him look good. He needs us to die so he can be good. So I will celebrate my weakness for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. There is no greater weakness, by the way, if we're measuring than dead weakness. So if the weaker you are, the more he lives in you, then I would say that if you're completely dead, that's his full permission. So in surrendering to say unsafe, where do you want to stop? I don't want to be in charge of anything in my life. Do you? Because he has proven how good he is at writing my story. And I have proven how bad I am 
at writing my story. But we're always contemplating the levels of unsaved, the levels of death, the levels of weakness we're willing to submit to. And it's so funny because we call it seasons of on fire or not on fire. You're either alive, dead, or born again. You can't be alive and born again at the same time. That's like you can't go back in time, you know, and be both there at the same time. You can't be both. Jesus in the garden didn't say, Lord, God, how can we, how can I die for their sin and not die? There's not, it's not a, there's no way to do it. It's either die, be highly exalted, redeem humanity, or live. That's the only choice. For us, it's either die, be born again, rule and reign with him forever, or live and try to maintain our, all of our issues. Galatians 5, 16. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. For your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self, life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. It's not cartoon people on each shoulder. Some of us are trying to decide each day, minute by minute, which way we're going to go. They're not compatible. But, you're brought, but when you're brought into the full freedom of the spirit of grace, you will no longer be living under the domination of the law, but soaring above it. If you want to fly, you got to die. If you want your feet on, off the ground, there's only one way to get there. Talked a few weeks ago, if you're going to stay on Earth's system, the sun's going to leave every day, you think. But if you want to stay in close proximity to him, you've got to leave Earth's system. You've got to come up higher. And you do that through death and resurrection. Those that have been buried with him in the likeness of his death will be raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection, forever seated with him, where there's no variation, no variation, no seasons, no on fire, not on fire, dead, 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 alive through him. That's it. I'm crucified, and I'm still crucified, and I'm still crucified, and he's still alive. And he doesn't change. So if we're crucified and we stay dead and he's alive in us, then we'll never change. I don't know. If you read on through 19 through 23 for sake of time, it's talking about self-life and it's talking about spirit life. But verse 24, keep in mind, that we who belong to Jesus, the anointed one, have already experienced crucifixion. 
For everything connected with our self-life was put to death on the cross and crucified with the Messiah. We must live in the Holy Spirit and follow after him. I want you to go back to Galatians 5 real quick. So, the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life. For your self-life cravers, verse 17, Galatians 5, 17, for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you, okay? I'm going to take probably another sermon. I should separate this, and I'm going to do it real fast. What Job feared the most came upon him. Right? After trying to spin the plates of making sure that he had pleased God, what he feared the most came upon him. After he got a revelation of the nature of God, what he was in awe of, what he feared changed, and then what he feared the most came upon him. Whenever what we fear the most in the world comes upon us, it looks like loss. Whenever we fear the most what, look, what is in the kingdom, it looks like increase. What about Jesus? Jesus, when he was baptized by John the Baptist, at that point had done nothing for God, done no miracles, done nothing great for God to be real excited about and say, wow. Yet he came up out of the water and the father said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. When he came up out of the water. He had done nothing. All he did was went in the water. All he did was die and that's all it took for the father to say, I'm well pleased. Same thing for us. Submit to death. Jesus died on the cross when he died in the water. That was, that was his deciding moment. Obedience is obedience. He was obedient. It just kept being obedient. So one act of obedience is the same as any other greater act of obedience. So when Jesus says, yes, I must be baptized, you must baptize me, then he was saying, I'm dying on the cross. Obedience brings favor. Not striving in works, just obedience even unto death. You know what else it brought? John the Baptist had been told that one day there'll be a man. He'll baptize him and the dove will descend and the dove will remain. Dove is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is at odds with our self-life. They're at enmity with one another. They can't remain together. So the Holy Spirit could not descend until Jesus demonstrated his ultimate obedience to death. Immediately when he died, God says, this is my son whom well please, and the Holy Spirit descended, and it says it remained. I've even heard sermons, how do we make the dove remain? Those sermons sometimes make me tired. I contemplate how the rest of my life I'm going to keep the bird on my shoulder. And it makes me feel like Job. But do you know a shoulder that a dove will never be scared off of? A dead shoulder.
So I don't need, I don't have 10 points on how to make the dove remain in your life. I have one point. Die and stay dead. And what you fear the most, come on, look at God. He's so beautiful. What Jesus feared the most came upon him and remained. What Job feared the most came upon him and remained. What you fear the most will come upon you and remain if you fear him enough. If you're in awe of him enough, you'll never want to get up out of the grave and take back over because you'll be so in awe of him and you'll be reminded, oh, I don't have a clue how to do any of this. I better just stay dead. And the Holy Spirit will remain because he's in enmity with you. You get back up again, he's flying, right? Right? Because that old life, he hates it and he will leave. But all you got to do is stay dead. Now, if you're taking notes, write down Romans 6. Wow. I was going to read a bunch of it. Let me just hit one, Romans 6, 6. Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Verse 11, so let it be the same way with you since you're now joined with him. You must continually view yourselves as dead and unresponsive to sin's appeal while living daily for God's pleasure in union with Jesus, the Holy One. The joy that was set before him is what we're now living in, and it's the joy that's set before us. We get to join him in the joy that's set before us. All we have to do is be dead like he's dead, and then we get to live with him like he lives with us. Verse 14, remember this, sin will not conquer you. For God already has. You can't be conquered by something if you're already conquered. I'm not my own. You can't, you can't take me over. You got to talk to the people who own me. We're trying to fight off sin all the time. You don't have to fight off sin all the time. Let sin talk to your owner. You're not governed by law, but you're governed by the realm, the reign of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 10, we continually share in the death of Jesus in our own body so that the resurrected life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. We consider living to mean that we are constantly being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus will be revealed through our humanity. So then death is at work in us. Death is a good thing. It's at work in us, but it releases life in you. See, we want life... We have to not be afraid of death. Matthew 10, 28. Golly. Matthew 10, 28. Don't be in fear of those who can kill only the body but your soul, but not your soul. Fear only God who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You can buy two sparrows for only a copper coin, yet... Not one sparrow falls without the knowledge of your father. Aren't you worth much more to God than sparrows? So don't worry for your father cares deeply about even the smallest detail of your life. Don't fear who can take your body, but the one who can take your body and your soul. A lot of times many people say, oh, this is Satan, man. You should fear Satan. You should fear Satan. You should not fear Satan. Ephesians 6, 11, put on God's complete set of armor. 
Nolan, will you come up here? Play. I'm going to abruptly and immediately, I'm arrested. I'm stopping now. I will not miss this moment that I think we're destined for today by talking too much. I must die right now to what I thought I was going to say today. I've said enough. Play that video clip real quick before he starts playing. I tell y'all about this all the time. Watch this. This is where we got to live. Sue me for what? He has no place in me. He can taunt you and harass you and try to steal from you because he's got a place in you. He's got a hook in you. If you can't look him in the face, punch him in the gut, spit in his eye, sue me for what? I'm already dead. I'm going to take you out. I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you this. You're going to have this. You're going to do this. You need to be in fear every day of your life. Well, I'm, I'm already dead. You can't take Jesus out, and he's who's living through me. You already lost that battle. What are you talking about? We're fighting all kinds of wars we don't need to be fighting, having all kinds of conversations and arguments we don't need to be having, doing a bunch of striving that's getting us nowhere. And we should be racing to rest in peace. Die. I beg of you to stay with me. I know I said I'm not talking anymore and I'm not talking anymore, but we're going to do something. And I beg you to forget about the time for a moment. This is an invitation. And embrace this moment. It's complete and total surrender. It's so peaceful. It's so peaceful. You guys have that audio? Somebody called me last month and was praying and gave me this word. It's actually Darlene's son-in-law. It's Padre Rick's son. And he called me and he gave me a word that the Lord gave him. 
and I want, I want them to play it right now. I ask permission from him. Play that real quick. So I come here today to be a man. I'm tired of not being a man. His dad one time told me, Rick, came up to me at a camp meeting one time and I had my suit on and I was playing all the things. I was climbing all the ladders and he said, man, I bet sometimes when God looks at you, he's so sad. He, he just says things straight. He said he created this powerful, tenacious bulldog that he could use to disrupt and wreak havoc. And now you're just this little sweet preacher guy. I don't remember all the words he said, but man, we so many times, religion makes us goofy. So I come to be me today, and I came to be a man today, and I came to release all the tenacity that I carry. And I came to call out men. Come and die. I believe this. There's your revival of men. I can't wait over the coming weeks to share a little bit more that just dropped today, this morning, about this. There is a revival of men. It's tied to this man, Paul Bradbury in Montana, that I love so dearly, and his family. But I believe that a small part of it. I don't know what part of it, but I believe that I am carrying a revival for men. Not because I did such a great job spinning the plates. I don't know why, but I, I know that it is there. Maybe it's just because I will be a man.
Would everybody stand up with me today? I'm putting on your notice, men. No, I don't mean like in the coming weeks. I mean like in the next five minutes, I'm about to ask you to be a man. I'm about to ask you to lead this congregation today. Today. Not, that's a cool sermon. We'll get pumped up. No, I'm getting ready to ask you right now in about three minutes to be a man and lead this congregation in laying down your life. Because that's what the Holy Spirit showed me happening today. So men, I want everybody else that will to fall in, but I want men, 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 I want you to lead this body today. They're going to sing a song about being a laid down lover, being totally surrendered, totally sacrificed, totally, totally dead. And I'm asking for men to step out from where you are and I want you to lay down prostrate on your face on the floor as low as you possibly can and eat dirt and show your family and show this body a symbol of what it means to be dead and I want you to lead us and I'll lead you you don't have to if you're uncomfortable you don't but let's go men move men let's lead men let's lead guys sing that song Everyone else, just follow in. Anybody that will today, anybody that will today, would you just lay down, lay down, totally surrender. I'm tired of the games. I'm tired of stopping where I've always stopped. I'm tired of trying to, is this enough, God? Is this enough, God? Is this enough surrender? Is this enough sacrifice? Is this enough territory to give you? Is this enough? Is this enough? Come on, today, say, I'm no longer negotiating. I'm no longer trying to see how much I can keep and how much you can help me with my weakness so I feel just enough good about myself to feel like a man. Today, I say, I can't be a man. I'm not enough. But you're enough. So I'm done. Men, will you lay down and be done? Be done. Shit, my. 
Let the taste of this today linger. 
Let the taste of this linger. Let the glimpse of freedom. Let the glimpse of freedom. Let the glimpse of being laid down. Let the, let the taste of peace, the goodness of peace and rest that we encounter just lay on the floor in complete defenselessness, in complete surrender, in complete sacrifice. Let us be hooked. Let us be grabbed. Let us be, let us be absolutely owned and possessed by this feeling, this encounter, this reality of complete surrender. Let us never be able to go back. Let us find nothing else that fills any source of any fulfillment. Let every lie be exposed. Let every lie be exposed by the all of you right now. Let every lie be exposed by the all of you right now. Let every false freedom be exposed right now in this moment of true freedom as we lay, as we lay on our face. Let every other lie be exposed. Let every other false freedom be exposed right now. False fulfillment, the allure of self-life, Right now, let it pale in comparison. Let it not even be mentionable in the weight of your glory. Let every precedent be broken. Let every parameter be shattered. Every level of glory be surpassed. coming up higher as we go down deeper. Till there's absolutely nothing left of us and it's all you. As for me, as for me, it's only Jesus that's alive. As for me, as for me, it's only Jesus that's alive. Michael is dead. Michael is dead. Michael is dead. Michael is dead. I'm reminded of the, I believe but help my unbelief. I'm dead but help me stay dead. I'm dead but help me put to death the desire to not be dead. which will come when I'm truly dead. Set us free today of ourselves. Set us free today of every false idea that our weak selves are something that need to be propped up or something that need to be encouraged or something that needs to be sorted through and made better managers. Today, let us see the absolute helplessness and futility of our flesh and come to the conclusion that there's no other justifiable thing than to put it down. It's the only reasonable solution. It's the only reasonable course of action is to surrender our entire life and put it down. then our worth be shaped in lieu of who you are.
and who you've created us to be as we joyfully embrace the fulfillment of life with you, resurrected life with you. Let death become natural, our natural course, our first course. Let us no longer spend three days, three hours, three minutes every time the possibility of death to our flesh arises by trying to think of ways to avoid it. But let us come boldly to your throne. Quickly and boldly. When we feel the self-life attempt to rise up, let us come quickly and boldly to the one who knows us, the one who has been tempted in all ways, the one who knows just what to do and has demonstrated and showed us how to deal with our flesh. Let us run rapidly the race to rest in peace. It's imperative and it must be done expeditedly, expeditiously, and continually. And God, I thank you. I thank you for the men. I thank you for the women. I thank you for the children. I thank you for the lives that are no longer theirs, but they're yours. My life is not my own. It's yours. I belong. I give myself. To you I belong. I give myself. I give myself to you. I thank you for every man, every woman, every child, that their life is not their own. I thank you. I thank you not just for who they are and how they're going to make me feel better because they'll be a better person. I thank you for them. I thank you for the life that they now get to experience. I thank you for the fulfillment they get to walk in. I thank you for the peace and rest that they get to encounter. I celebrate right now. I ecstatically rejoice right now for the death they've encountered that has opened the door to the resurrection life that they now get to embrace and walk in. until when you stand up it doesn't change the position of your heart then stand up <laughs> we just end in worship today surrender today I give myself away so you I can't. 
you want with us, but we already know what you're going to do. <laughs> you're going to pierce us because you love us. in arms. That's beautiful. Can we pray for brothers today? Can we pray together, brothers?
Those of you that believe in the power of prayer and healing, Kenny Loveday, one of our elders here, he's not feeling well this morning and he thinks he has a cold and so we're, he didn't want to come in and possibility of getting anybody sick. Um, but his uncle went in for surgery last week. They found out that he had COVID, so I'll put that off. Then they also do some tests, found out he had cancer, just things they weren't even expecting. And so he desperately needs a miracle. And so Kenny's grandmother actually um, made a pillowcase and, and embroidered it, whatever it's called. I don't know. But um, so it's going to serve two dual purpose. She wants to give him this pillowcloth, pillow but they want... I don't remember exactly how he said it, but they, they've seen us, know our church, and somehow believe that our church is a church that believes in the power of prayer and wants us to pray for this cloth as they take it to him. And um, we don't have time for a theological discussion, but let me just tell you, Paul sent cloths that were prayed over and people were healed, okay? And so we're going to believe that. It says, call for the elders of the church and let them anoint you with oil and pray over you. So we're going to anoint this cloth today. And I would like some elders of the church. You don't have to be official elders of the church, but elders of the church that believe in the power of prayer and healing. I want us to pray over this today. We've got to get a new bottle. This one doesn't work. And... Uh, so anybody that wants will come up. Tiffany, you actually take this, please, and hold that down there. And we will pray over this cloth. Just as many as can. If you want to stay in your seats, if you will, stretch your hand. His name is Philip Terry. So, God, we right now, we just stand in right now for Philip Terry. 
we anoint this cloth just as if we were putting our hand on Philip Terry's head right now as your word instructs us to do. We lay hands on the sick and it does not say they might recover. It says they shall recover. And so we, we call forth healing right now for Philip Terry's body. I curse every abnormality, every cancer cell. We curse you, shrivel up and die in Jesus' name. Lungs function properly. COVID, we ban you from Philip Terry's body. COVID, leave Philip's body. Let his lungs function properly. Let his life be restored. Let breath and blood invade his body in Jesus' name. Strength and health be restored. We join our faith with his, and he believes God for healing. And so right now, we join our faith. We come into agreement, and we put principalities at flight in Jesus' name. And we release the kingdom. Whatever's bound on earth is bound in heaven, and whatever's loosed is loosed. So we bind this infirmity and infection and cancer and disease and we loose the healing virtue of God paid for and purchased by his own son on the cross. We release the stripes right now that paid for cancer right now. We just, we just exact those. We take what's already been provided and as ambassadors, we receive from heaven the price that was paid for cancer and we right now apply it. We right now apply it. We right now possess it. We take something from another realm and we drag it into this one and we position it on Philip Terry right now. Healing in Jesus' name. Wholeness in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We give you glory. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you praise. So be it. So be it. It is done. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.